the Links and Locks podcast. podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello, and I'm joined alongside Spencer Aguiar this week, and we're excited to break down the 2023 RSM Classic from Sea Island Golf Club. First, we're going to get through our best bets, then we're going to go through our course preview of Sea Island Golf Club, the plantation and seaside courses, little course rotation this week, and then we're going to get through our outright card, the rest of our bets, and then because of the nature of this cor- of this tournament with the two courses, uh, one of them being seaside, so it's got a little bit more weather that could p- perhaps play a factor on that course. So a lot of different factors involved this week, and so we're going to give you as much information as we can about all the relevant players this week so you can make your decisions whether you want to wait to bet this depending on the weather, whether you want to bet after the first round when the player you want to target play the, plays on the right or wrong course after the first round. Uh, we're just going to try to give you as much information as possible, and hopefully we find as many winners along the way as possible. I'm excited this week, Spencer, because I told you a few moments ago out the air, yeah. we found some mispricings on Bet365, our sponsor, so I'm excited to jump into that. But before we do that, what is your best bet for the week here at the RSM Classic? I'll say this, just even before I get into the play, I I thought there were mispricings, maybe not so much as what you're talking about here, where there's these egregious differences in the market at one shot versus the next, but I thought there were mispricings in the market when things opened on Monday of players exponentially higher or even lower than they should have been in a lot of spots. And I can't tell you, Roberto, how much I wanted to come on the show and say Zach Blair plus 850 for a top 20 as my best bet. Uh, that number has moved now more into the five to six to one range at most books. Certainly still think there's a lot of value there. We'll talk about that play a little bit more in depth as this show goes on. Uh, it's going to be one of the bigger wagers for me that you will find for a wager that is at least this big in odds. But for the sake of this show, I'll go with something a little bit safer that you can still find in the market as of this point. Keith Mitchell, a name that has plagued us on this show. Uh, plus 105 against the golfer that I continue to fade and doesn't seem like I've won very many bets on him recently, but feel good about this spot. Keith Mitchell plus 105 over Luke List as my best bet of the week. All right. Keith Mitchell, Georgia Bulldog, backing him down there in St. Simons Island, Georgia. For my best bet this week, I'm going to go with JT Poston, 56th or better on our sponsor, Bet365 at minus 120. But before we get into the postman, Talk to me about why the man with the best Pfizer on tour is going to beat Luke List this week. It's a wild post in price. That's kind of some of the answers I'm talking about of there just being numbers that feel off compared to where they should be. But uh, I I talked about it. I've been consistently burned by List over the past few months because of this recent surge of seven straight top 45 finishes. This is the first time, though, that my model returned an answer of pure chaos for List over just the overinflated expectation that I've been getting from recently. List graded as the most significantly mispriced option on the board because of the projected strokes gain output that landed him outside the top 100 of the field this week. Most of that return stemmed from the removal of his driver, plus the over 6% decrease that he's going to experience in proximity from outside of 175 yards. 
We seem to get the same ask repeatedly popping to the forefront at Sea Island when you have 10 par four holes that range between 400 to 460 yards. To me, it just feels like one of those spots to where if lifts performs better than expected, I still have an option that I like in Mitchell. I know I give that answer a lot, but you look at the four consecutive top 44 finishes at this venue. I think there's safety built in the opposite in there. And then if the downside that feels possible for list comes into play, I do believe this is one of those opportunities where it could turn into a shortened week for him where he misses the cut. I had this price closer to minus 140. Thought the wrong player was favored here when this opened up. So uh, it's kind of one of those things. It's the last tournament of the year. I think some of the pricing here was a little wonky in spots. I understand more so in this situation than some of the other ones just because List has been on fire. But it feels like one of those overinflated spots where List is getting all of that traction that is just coming to the forefront of the equation here where a player like Mitchell, which yes, I know been very volatile, been very volatile for us on the show. It's been quality at this tournament. I, I don't know if this is necessarily the best course fit for list. So I will take Keith Mitchell plus one Oh five. Interesting that he is plus money there. And I've mentioned that we found some mispricings on bet three, six, five's board this week, but in the finishing positions market, they have Keith Mitchell's, total finishing position, projected finishing position at 35 and a half. So you can bet minus 120 over or under that number. Luke List has his finishing position total at 71 and a half. Huge difference. So the fact that you're getting plus money on it is an absolute steal on that. Assuming that those prices are right, we don't think they are, but that goes even more to show why at plus 105, I think that's a great bet. And that leads me into another mispricing on Bet365, and that is on JT Poston to finish 56 or better at minus 120. I bet this one for one and a half units. I haven't made a bigger bet on this show since we've been on the show. JT Poston is priced in the market at other big name books. You know the names of them. I know the names of them. We're not going to mention it because they don't sponsor our show, unlike Bet365. They have him at minus 190 for top 40. Now we get 56 or better. So we get 14 more, 16 more positions and it's minus 120 instead of minus 190. So there is a clear and significant edge. We don't even really need to get into why JT Poston is a great fit for this course, but we will because he is wedging it and hitting the ball with his irons as well as he has in his career. He might be making a leap to becoming an even better player. And he is arguably the best putter in the world right now. And at a course, at a pair of courses that don't have a lot of challenging par fours, most of them are in that 400 to 450 yard range, going to be right in his iron proximity range that we want to see. And it's going to set up a lot of short irons and putters. And he is the class of this field in that right now. So giving me 56 or better, which basically you make the cut and you don't throw up all, all over yourself in the first, in the last two rounds. I think JT Poston has a chance to do a lot better than that. So give me JT Poston, 56 or better for one and a half units, and we'll have some more of these placement market or top 40 bets coming in just a few moments. But first, Spencer, let's get to the course preview. Unique course this week where you have two or unique format this week where you have two different courses and you have solved this problem before because I believe you had Adam Svensson here last year. Correct? I did, yes. Break down why you picked Spenson last year and how you're going about trying to make it two in a row this week. 
Yeah, I think there's always similar qualities that can be found at these sub 7,200 yard venues. Obviously, we get a little bit of a different equation here because there's a second course that we at least have to look into somewhat. But you're going to get some of that here when diving into the data of why finding the short grass is essential. The field connects on 80% of their greens in regulation when hitting their approach shots from inside the fairway. That is a total that is as high as any track you're going to see on tour yearly. I don't know if the whole nature of this answer is quite similar to most natural comp courses of this size because we do get a reduction in around the green performance from nothing more than the sheer fact that the fairways are over seven yards wider than your standard setoff. Plus, players aren't missing as many greens as usual. But to me, and this is kind of how I built my model last year, and it's very pronounced again, there is this three-pronged strategy that I believe you need to find success. That comes down to locating the fairway, capitalizing as much as possible with your irons to create makeable looks, and then having the ability to hit your flat stick on a soft Bermuda surface that can be speedier than expected. We do have an eye-popping nine par fours that measure between 400 to 450 yards. I'm going to call it 10 for the sake of this show since one is just outside at 452. Uh, the two outliers will be the 368-yard eighth hole and the 470-yard 18th. That is one of the reasons we see a consolidated emphasis on approach shots from 100 to 175 yards. Those factors help to deliver a mark that will generate over an 8% increase from within that distance. I think when you add all of that to the fact that the field also produces over 8% more putts from beyond 10 feet than we're accustomed to yearly, or weekly, I should say, with that, and, and maybe that kind of is what makes this a putting contest. Like It's a wonky variation of a pitch and putt because of that steady distribution of shorter anticipated yardages that are repeatedly given for the event, plus the ability to have to make putts from outside 10 feet at a higher rate. Uh, you talked about this, you know, I want to note it here. Players are going to be forced to play either their Thursday or Friday rounds on the secondary plantation course. That adds a more challenging wrinkle to handicap statistically since rotational events change what is being asked from the field between days. I generally focus on the main venue when it presents 75% of the rounds. Kind of think it does more harm than good when the more critical days are also played on that track. I'm okay with adding an extra emphasis on par five scoring if you want to elaborate on two more holes there that you're going to get. But I decided against it. I think for me, it's better to push in a direction to find success from a betting standpoint to where we're weighing things that are actually going to be played on the weekend during the more critical dates over just like what's going to occur over the opening two rounds. I know everybody has a different way of doing it. And I think that's one of the reasons why sports books in general have released very awkward pricing in these spots. Cause they almost don't know how to handle this situation. I'm always a believer of go with more of the known quantities or qualities of a venue rather than what is being done on a Thursday or a Friday that adds a slight deviation to the mix here. But uh, I am really excited, Roberto, to talk about some of these bet 365 finishing position markets. Like I just brought it up right now because your post and number was so insane to me that I had to look to see what is going on. And they have made massive deviations on that side. And I don't know how long it's going to last for. I'm hoping by the time this airs, we might get a difference. There were players that had over-unders of 40 that are now in the 60s. There were players that had over-unders of 60s that are now in the 20s. I think there are a lot, like this has happened one or two other times that we've done a podcast together. Mm -hmm. And I think we've each time been able to reap the rewards or the benefits of it. I think it's a very similar spot where there's just wrong pricing that's across the market right now. One of my friends sent me a video on Instagram today where somebody was talking about 
the recent trend of boy math, girl math, there was sports betting math, and it was just really messed up. And I texted him back, this is why the buildings in Las Vegas are so big. <laughs> but because most of the time, a lot of the people who make bets shouldn't be betting and they make some some just dumb mistakes. And every once in a blue moon, you can find the sports books make a mistake and you've really got to pounce because it may not happen for another year or two. And this is one of those times. So Spencer, let's get into the outright cards and then we'll get into our finishing positions. But who do you got? You got three outrights this week, trying to make it two years in a row at the RSM Classic. It's one of those venues where a player who is accurate off the tee can spike with his irons and putter has the potential to thrive. We already talked about this. That's how I landed on Adam Svensson here at last year at 160 to one. I do have one name way down the board that I'll get to in a second if you're looking to throw a dart. I think we're probably realistically looking, at least if we're looking for long shots here. Mark Hubbard, Troy Merritt, Sam Ryder, Kevin Kisner. That's kind of the sort of range where if I was to take somebody else outside of 100 to 1, that's probably where I would have landed. I don't know if that's the ideal route since the top of the board is extremely strong to me this year for this event, but it's something to consider if you have extra room to add a few flyers. You know, for all the good that we're talking about of numbers that seem to be moving in the direction that helps us, there are some outrights here that at least I have on my card that have moved against us. So, you know, there's the give and the take with the sports betting to where sometimes you can get a good number and then it just vanishes on you. I started my card with Russell Henley at 24 to 1. That was a bet 365 price for most of Monday inside the enhanced market. It's not there anymore, unfortunately. Like he has been the most significant market mover Throughout the past 24 hours, he's dropped more into that 14, the 16, the one zone at most shops. I think it makes a ton of sense when you consider that my model had him priced as the perceived second favorite behind Obear on Monday morning when I initially built my sheet. Not to mention that it goes back to the point that I've been harping on with Henley over the last few months of us recording this podcast. Thought he should have been a captain's pick for the Ryder Cup because of this ability to perform on these club down tests that are going to reward accuracy and quality proximity play. It's obviously one of those situations where I'm not sure if the market has necessarily corrected itself for a player that I deem to be a top 20 talent. We've seen the correction take place, you know, unfortunately here over the last couple days here. Uh, But I think he's a top 20 player. You put him on one of these short, easy tests. He can make a few putts. This is a top notch setup for him to uh, find success. Took Brendan Todd at 55 to one. Very similar mentality for this wager after watching Todd free fall down the board and more into this 40 to 45 to one range. Actually still think there's value there. I think sometimes we get into a spot with Todd where the market discredits his win equity, at least at the open, and then slowly shifts over a few days to account for that inflation uh, that we do receive at the beginning of the week. My math thought he was the number one player in this field when combining accuracy, proximity, and putting. Uh, it, It also located him first for recalculated par four production from 400 to 450 yards. To me, Roberto, if we took away Todd's name, and I know that sometimes can be a difficult thing to do, and you blurred it, or you could just scrub the name from existence and everybody was blurred on it, and you could just run a model and say, wow, this is the best value that I see on my sheet, it would have been Brendan Todd at 55 to 1. I I legitimately think he's a sub 40 to 1 golfer that one week ago was priced as a sub 20 to 1 choice. Now, I understand this is a much better field this week, and I'm not making like the direct comparison there, but... A lot of those players that were very similarly priced, like if you look at a Alex Noren, they closed at around the same number. I know Noren almost won the tournament. Now Noren's 28 to one. All of a sudden, Todd 
quadruples in price nearly up to this 55 to one zone. So I just think there's a little bit too much meat on the bone there for me to ignore that price. And then I wrapped up my card. Number moves has moved a little bit. I still think there's value where you can find it. Uh, Zach Blair, 300 to one. If you can only find 200 to one, I'm fine with that. The lack of safety could very well be on full display, but we rarely get options this far down the sheet that can excel from an upside perspective as much as Blair did when I ran my data. He was one of only 11 players to rank inside the top 27 when looking into expected putting on similar green complexes, recalculated strokes gain total, and anticipated scoring. That's a lot of metrics to mimic Sea Island here. The biggest takeaway from that, at least to me, was that all the other players outside of Sam Ryder from those 11 all landed inside 60 to 1 to win this tournament. He was the one true outlier that we had outside of Ryder there. You know, I'm not going to guarantee that he pops because of the potential volatility, but I did decide to place a larger outright wager than I usually would for a 300 to 1 golfer. I bet him to win 15 units. That was kind of the stance I was going to take there. I think there's a nice edge to consider in most markets that I'll talk about in a second. Uh, I talked at the beginning how he moved from eight and a half to one to five to one. I still think five to one is value for a top 20, but uh, at least for me, Roberto, it's one of those situations where it's a very low risk, high reward situation. If Blair ends up missing the cut, which is certainly something that's in play here, it ends up translating to a essentially a, a loss head to head with the way I'll have my exposure. Like I'll be a little bit over one unit in exposure with the placement bets I have on him. Plus the outright ticket that I have. So, you know, miss the cut. It's like any outright or any head to head wager that just didn't get across the finish line where if all of a sudden, you know, he starts working himself up the board and he lands a top 40, he lands a top 30, he lands a top 20. And we do this ladder effect up to where he can kind of land in all those zones. And I didn't go as aggressive as I sometimes do with this. Like we had a Taylor Moore situation uh, months ago where that ended up working very well to where he ended up winning the golf tournament. But I think it's kind of a similar spot with him here to where there's a lot of upside for the price that at least didn't get built in originally. I like it. And I like being aggressive in these spots where, you know, you have an edge specifically with a big return on the line. And if it doesn't hit this week, you might have another opportunity down the line. But if it does hit this week and you don't capitalize on it, you may never have those same numbers available again. So that's why I really like being aggressive and playing a spot like this. And I had a little nibble on that Taylor Moore to win the Valspar as well. So hopefully it works out this week. Um, Looking at my outright card for the RSM Classic, I started off with Brendan Todd. Unfortunately, I didn't get the 55 to 1 that you got, but I got him at 45 to 1. Echo all the same sentiments that this guy profiles really well for this golf course and he's very familiar with it also a georgia bulldog and a lot of guys from that saint simon's island area who are playing a home game this week uh the sea island mafia is what they go by by the way but uh, a lot of guys who hadn't played a lot in the fall who are going to be out there this week who had bigger numbers than i thought they would have or than they deserve to have and as a result i'm betting on them so i've also got chris kirk 55 to 1 and Harris English, 60 to 1. So similar guys. I have way too many Georgia Bulldogs on my card here this week. I didn't plan on this. It just worked out that way. But I'm a believer in these guys as guys who can take advantage of this golf course. I believe in their uh, just upside in a field where I really don't think there are any elite golfers outside of, if you want to make the argument for Ludwig Aubert, and rightfully so. But there are a lot of really good golfers in the field this week, which is awesome. This is by far the best field of the entire fall swing. And I think that there are a lot of guys who could be around 40 to one who 
who are priced in the 20 to 1, 30 to 1 range. And there are a lot of those guys that I think should be around 40 to 1 who are priced in the 50 to 61 range. So I'm just going to take the guys who I think are underpriced. Maybe they haven't been playing as much recently, but they still got some upside. They might not be the safest players. So I'm going to attack them from an upside standpoint. And there's some other players who I really like, like a Taylor Pendrith whom we've talked about extensively on the show as a player who can be successful on these club down courses. And he has been lately. When you look at how he's performed in the fall swing, his last few results, T8 in Bermuda last week, T15 two weeks ago at the Worldwide Technology Championship in Cabo, and then a T3 at the Shriners Children's Open. So he, I love him as an outright selection this week. I got him at 50 to one. And I've also got another big play on him later on in the podcast on the bet three, six, five placements markets as well. So we'll get to that in a moment. And then wrapping out my outright card, I took Sam Ryder at 110 to one for the same reasons you mentioned. He had a really tough tournament over there in Japan at the Zozo, but bounced back with a T10 in his most recent start. And also was just playing really solid golf before that trip to Japan, been on fire on approach. Can't, he doesn't lose strokes on approach. He just doesn't. And even though he's not the longest hitter in the world, that's not going to matter as much this week. So I love him uh, throughout all markets this week, really. Sam Ryder, I do. So uh, love Sam Ryder. And then my sneaky play, I bet Ryan Palmer 125 to 1 to win the tournament outright. We mentioned him briefly on the show last week. He right now is just outside that top 125 in the FedEx Cup rankings, which, by the way, this is the last PGA Tour tournament of the PGA Tour season, so he needs to get inside that top 125 to secure his card for next year. But he's playing some really solid golf right now. He finished T5 at the Worldwide Technology Championship, then followed that up last week with a T8 thing I mentioned last week when talking about him. I wanted to know how he finished T5, and I wanted... And I still am kind of wondering how he finished T8. But the big, big weakness for Ryan Palmer is that he is a good approach player, but he's been a terrible putter on the PGA Tour this year. And specifically, when he has hit the ball well on approach, he has been at his worst putting the ball. In his 11 tournaments this season, where he gained at least 0.5, so a half stroke per round, so on pace to gain two strokes on approach, for the entire tournament. He's done that 11 times this year on the PGA Tour. Nine of those 11 times, he lost strokes with the putter. A lot of them by a lot. And one of those two in which he actually gained strokes putting while he gained strokes on approach was at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, which is a bit of an outlier because that's one of the only three course rotations on the PGA Tour. And he missed the cut, which means that we only got data from one out of three rounds in which he gained strokes putting. And he could have very well lost strokes putting the other two out of the three rounds. So I kind of throw that one out and really say nine of the 10 tournaments that he gained strokes on approach, he lost strokes putting. So can he put those two things together? I believe yes. I told you last week about how Ryan Palmer has a new putter in the bag. It's also the, the exact same club head. Not, I believe he has, um, I believe he might have, uh, the broomstick, but it's one of those lab putters. There's no torque. I have the same putter except just the smaller version. And it made a big difference for Camila Villegas who won the tournament this past weekend. We saw what's happened with Lucas Glover who has the identical same putter. I believe that Ryan Palmer has. And now Ryan Palmer, all of a sudden 
We see him putt with this putter two times. He's got two top tens, and there's no strokes gain data to back it up. But I've got more than a hunch that that's playing a significant role. And I think that given the regular numbers in the market, he's under he is underpriced. And as a result, I'm betting him outright. This is a standard number across the market. But the placement market bet that I want to make on him, which I guess I'll just share now, top 40 at bet365 is plus 250. Whereas other places in the market, everywhere I could find odds, is plus 125. So significant value there on him. And my question for you, Spencer, is if there's value on him for top 40, there's also value on him for top 20. And how do we want to, what, how would you ladder this? Because right now I've placed 2.2 units for top 20 at plus 700, whereas everywhere else it is plus 360 or in that range. How would you go about attacking an edge like this? I mean, normally when I have those situations, I will go a little bit bigger as you talked about, because there's, it's such a rare occurrence that takes place. And uh, when you do get it, you need to capitalize on those situations. I would probably run it across the board, depending on how confident I felt on the play uh, with it. You know, I think it's an interesting spot that Palmer's in right now in particular, because it's a lot of very similar to the Eric Van Royen answer to where uh, all of a sudden the metrics, you know, maybe from a long-term perspective, you don't see the the change happening. And for Palmer, it's even worse because we can't get the metrics from what's been occurring for him. So we don't exactly know how it's going down right now, but Back-to-back top 10 finishes. We know Ryan Palmer at his best was a golfer that could perform specifically in this sort of a field on a club down sort of test like this. So, uh, you know, I always try to, if I find value in this situation, I am one of those that is very aggressive in those spots. And um, that is kind of one of the reasons why when we get on this show and we talk about how much exposure do we have on our card or how much exposure do we have on our outright card every single week, it's never a set answer for us because we're always building it to where the value is. And that's why there's some tournaments inside the placement market. I may end up with a quarter, if even that much of exposure. And then there's other weeks where I might end up unloading three, four, five, six, seven units in those spots where there's value. And and I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions in the space is that everybody thinks, okay, well, I have this amount of a budget that I can put for each tournament where it really should be. I have this amount of, of bankroll this is how much uh, a unit is for me. How much can I find worth the value to get down in action? And I think when you find these discrepancies in the market, you have to attack them just because there's such far and few between that you will. Absolutely. And I'm not sure if I mentioned, but I did put a full unit on this one at plus 250 for top 40 on Ryan Palmer. No ties paid in full on this one, but uh, still thought there was too much value to not attack it. And um also wanted to mention on Ryan Palmer, he is sneaky long, above average on driving distance and accuracy. So I like that. And even though he is not the young Sprite chicken that a Ludwig Aubert is, he's still very long off the tee, very effective, uh, unlike someone like a Brendan Todd. But Brendan Todd, we know, backs it up everywhere else. One other thing about, um, two other things about Ryan Palmer. First, he's from Amarillo, Texas. It's going to be windy the first two days, so I feel very confident in his win game. And second, he's a Texas A&M Aggie. The shackles are free from Jimbo Fisher. This could be the week where he lets it all hang out loose and goes after it. Give me Ryan Palmer this week, and um, hopefully the Aggies hire Devil, Devil Sweeney. To our next segment, Spencer, are the rest of your card, who you got on it? 
Well, I mean, if you're watching this on video and you're not listening back to audio, I, I've been on my phone for the last little bit trying to get in some of these wagers on Bet365 before these numbers end up moving because I do think we have an edge there. Um, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, for me, inside the placement market, it was Zach Blair plus 850 for that top 20, plus 200 for uh, a top 40. It's a half unit to win 4.25 on the top 20. The same risk there to win one unit on a top 40 of the 0.05 to win 15 on the outright. As I talked about, that's essentially looking at a normal head-to-head exposure just spread across three different sections. If he misses the cut, it's no different than losing one of those matchups. Um, Obviously, if he puts it together, it moves up the board there. But uh, it's now all of a sudden turned into a much bulkier card for me than I expected because of these differences that they do have inside Bet365 for the finishing position market. And I think right now is a good time to probably run through some of these. So as I talked about at the beginning of the show, there were so many players and I thought the pricing was very sound to begin this week. Like you had everybody, obviously there's, there's discrepancies to some extent. That's where we come up with value. Like I thought Luke list 48th or worse was probably a good play at the time. It was one of the plays I talked about with uh, Jason Sobel on the gimme. Well, I mean, now all of a sudden that number has moved into a spot where it's over under it's 71 or better or 72 or worse. Like obviously the value has been depressed out of that number. And that's the opposite end of the equation there. But then you have the reverse of this to where you have certain players that have propelled themselves up the board, but then you have this group and this is not even golfers that I necessarily loved coming into the week, like some more so than others, but Adam Svensson, 63rd or better, Alex Smalley, 70th or better, uh, Chesson Hadley, 75th or better. Like we're just talking about make a cut at this point for these players. Mm -hmm. JJ Spawn, 67th or better, JT Poston, 56th or better, KH Lee, 75th or better. Like the interesting thing about KH Lee there, he's like minus 200 at every single book to actually just make the cut. Now, all of a sudden we're looking at a spot where, yeah, I would think if he can come in 75th place, he probably made the weekend and you're paying minus 120 at that price. So I think you have an advantage there. Um, Matt Kuchar, 67th or better. Taylor Pendris, 66th or better. I'm I'm gonna probably bet each one of those that I mentioned at this point, just because like each one of those plays, Kucher in particular. I think there's a Billy Horschel play that I might have skipped also. Um, Billy Horschel, 67th or better. If I didn't name that one, like I was fine taking Billy Horschel at inside the 40 range. Matt Kucher's over under on Monday was 40th higher or lower on it, and now all of a sudden we're in the 60s. Like I don't understand where this 20, 25, 30 spot movement has occurred from all these players. So um, it, it's turned into a bulky week all of a sudden, Roberto, for this card. Absolutely. You mentioned a couple of the ones that I've mentioned already and was going to mention, but I'll, I'll echo it again. My best bet this week, JT Post and 56 or better at minus 120. Taylor Pendrith, 66 or better. You just mentioned that one. I bet that one for 0.6 units. And elsewhere, he's minus 150 for top 40. So you get 26 <laughs> more spots here and you're getting a better price. Makes no sense. Then the final one, Camila Vijegas, 73rd or better, minus 120. Also bet 0.6 units on here to win a half unit. He's minus 110 for top 20, or sorry, minus 110 for top 40 elsewhere. So you get 33 more spots and you only pay 10 more cents on the dollar for that. Sign me up all day long. There's so much value on this. We're going to... I'm going to plop down as soon as we get done with this 
podcast and going to try to write about this and get it out there as soon as possible so that as many of our listeners and Action Network readers can get money down on this while we still can. Yeah, I'm probably going to take a very similar approach as you talked about. It'll probably be 0.60 units for me to win 0.5 on all of those. Um, not all of them are going to get inside the winner's circle. Uh, certainly, like some of those players I wasn't necessarily on when, you know, an Alex Smalley may have been, I don't even know what the over-under was for it, but it was, I think, in the 40s at the time. Well, it's a different play now when it moves into the high 60s, low 70s mm-hmm. with it. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of value to be found on this board right now, specifically inside that bet three, six, five market. And if we got an edge on all these, just diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Exactly. There are no locks in golf, especially on a course on a tournament where there's multiple courses. There could be some weather. So there might be a weather edge. And if these numbers hang around, put your first number down on it right now. And then if your guys on the right course and the right wave split, and the number's still around, maybe put a little bit more on it uh, later on Wednesday night or Thursday morning when uh, before the tea times, because they're all relatively early. This is after we have fallen back. So less sunlight, everybody's going to be teeing off in the morning. So you're going to be want to, you're going to want to be watching PJ tour live this week, early in the morning. Great to have PJ tour live coverage back this week. Very excited for that. Um, before we continue, a reminder that Links and Locks is presented by Bet365. Bet365 doesn't do ordinary. They believe that every sport should be epic. Every touchdown, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today with code ACTION and you'll get $365 in bonus bets when you bet just $1. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Must be 21 or older only. Must be present in Colorado, Kentucky, Iowa, New Jersey, Ohio, or Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, and Virginia, or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Terms and conditions apply. And once again, all those bets in the placement markets that we are mentioning, going high or low over under X position, all on our sponsor, Bet365. All right, uh, Spencer, any any other bets that you wanted to mention, or should we go through our rapid-fire segment talk about some guys we haven't yet mentioned? Let's do the rapid-fire. All right. So looking at the top of the board, Ludwig Aubert is the outright favorite this week at 13-1. to 1. If you had to bet him outright this week, what number would you need? Uh, pr- probably in that 16 16- to one zone. Like I think him and Russell Henley specifically for this tournament, I would say Aubert may lose some of his strengths at this venue. Um, that maybe makes him a little bit weaker than you normally would. If you threw him on one of these tests where he could kind of use that distance off the tee and some of those answers, I would like him a little bit more still think that him and Henley should be the co-favorites or very give or take on what those numbers are. I have proper for Henley more in that 16 to one range give the same very similar answer to Obear there, but those were my top two projected win equity candidates. I think that makes a ton of sense. And there are three guys with the next shortest odds at 24 to one, Brian Harmon, Cameron Young, and Corey Connors, both Harmon and Cameron Young opened in that 17 to one range and have slid to 24 to one. I believe Corey Connors actually have them up here. He opened at 28 to one on bet 365 and he has, gotten shorter at 24 to one. If you had to put a ticket down on one of these three, whom would you pick? 
I have an issue with Cameron Young. I think that that's been figured out on this show over the past year. The upside metrics in my model always like him. I know that recently it hasn't exactly come to fruition the way that you would hope with some of these results. Maybe he just needs to restart this year in 2024 and and put the pieces back together again. I don't know if it's a minor change that he needs to undergo at some point, or I know he's been fiddling with the clubs a little bit, trying to find a more uh, pristine fit for him, I guess, with some of those irons and stuff. But uh, I really like him. I think if he puts the pieces together, I know that like it's a weird answer to give for a club down course because you would expect him to want to use his distance, but he's a really quality iron player from the distances that I ran. And then on top of that to where just going to throw it out there doesn't mean that it ends up happening. Obviously, the putter with him is one of those things that can be what goes south. He's one of the highest climbers inside of my model when trying to find uh, long-term projected increases on similar green complexes here. So I like him. I don't know if he necessarily, I don't know how many times I can get burned in this spot at sub 20 to 1 tolls, which is why I did not place it outright on him. Uh, I do think it becomes more intriguing as this starts drifting into that 22, 24 to one sort of range. I think there's value on that number. If you have room on your card, if it can get high enough, or if maybe up from an in-tournament answer, if something shifts, I would consider him. But um, the Connors move makes a lot of sense. My model also liked him. I have no issues with anybody that wants to go down that route, but I guess I would rank it uh, Cameron Young first and Connor second from that group. And I, well, who was the third choice? Brian Harmon? Yes. I think I'd rate Harmon probably third. I agree with that. Uh, although Brian Harmon is a local, finished in a tie for second here last year. So if there's anything we've learned in, 20, in 2023, never count Brian Harmon out. Next wave of guys includes Eric Cole at 30 to 1, JT Poston at 30 to 1, and our guy whom we cannot quit on this podcast, Siwoo Kim at 35 to 1. If you had to plop a ticket down on one of those three guys, who would you pick? I would go with Poston. He's probably the first name for me that missed my outright card. I am now going to get my exposure on the bet three, six, five market, at least. So I have something there, but uh, top seven in all iterations of how I ran my model, a very steady climber in value. If you're looking at names that were, let's say 40 to one or less, you know, give or take on this answer. When numbers opened, I had value on Billy Horschel. I had value on JT Poston. I had value on Russell Henley. Those were the three names before we've gotten some of those moves. Um, I think Poston at that price was one of those enhanced and inflated options that I was relatively surprised. And maybe this is where I keep going back to where there's these deviations inside of the market that of the pricing of what I thought was accurate. Like Henley was too high. Poston was too high. And then, you had certain options that were a little lower than you would expect. I think Poston being in the 30s was value based off of that number when everything opened up. Spencer, you're giving me temptation because he was the last person who missed my card too. So I feel like I have to bet him out right now. But I have room on my card. I, I, too. Wanted, I wanted to account for the variance that can happen with the first two rounds being at different courses. Perhaps there's some weather. With, and of course, with the seaside course being more... Um, with the seaside course having a more exposed layout to weather rather than the plantation course, which is more tree-lined. So wanted to save some bullets in the chamber for that potentially. But moving on to the guys at 38 to 1, 
Alex Noren, who came in second last week, Adam Svensson at 38 to one as well. And then Denny McCarthy, the Virginia Cavalier at 38 to one. If you had to pick one to win this tournament and you already have previously, not this year, who would you pick? I don't think it's inconceivable. I mean, that's that's a clear answer to give there. He's won this tournament before, and I think he's coming in with relatively solid form. I mean, you have four top 45 finishes to begin the fall season here. Uh, I will note that every single finish has gotten worse than the one before, so I guess that's a negative trend that he has going on right now. But that combination of accuracy, proximity, putting, that's the Adam Svensson sort of an answer of why he finds success on similar sorts of courses. I would not be shocked if if he competes again this week. I I, I always want to give the Alex Noren answer. I do think he has some negative trajectory for upside. Probably not going to go there. I guess for the sake of this question, I'll go with Adam Svensson. One thing I will note, as you mentioned, Svensson coming back to the place where he won. JT Poston, whom we just talked about, won the John Deere Classic in 2022. And before he showed up at the John Deere Classic this year, hadn't had a top 35 finish in his prior nine starts. He goes back to the John Deere Classic. And since that start, he has played in eight tournaments on the PGA Tour. Every single one of them, except for one, has been a top 35. And the only one that wasn't was a T41 at the Open Championship. Very different golf course than many of the other ones on the PGA Tour. So sometimes it just, you go back to where you've had some success. Maybe something fl- maybe something clicks for you and you ride that confidence going forward. But even more of a reason why we both really like JT Poston and the heater that he's been on for roughly five months now. But going to the next wave of guys here on Bet365, Justin Suh is 45 to 1. Matt Kuchar, who nearly won a couple weeks ago at the Worldwide Technology Championship at El Cardinal. Your boy, Steven Yeager. I haven't heard his name, and we're already 30 minutes into this podcast. What is going on, Spencer? Why haven't you mentioned Steven Yeager? This is the first time that he has been in the field that we haven't heard him in the first five minutes of this podcast. I, I made this joke with uh, Jason Sobel on the gimme last week that I have, well, maybe it's not a joke. I guess everybody out there can interpret this the way that they want that inside of my contract, that action I have, it's written in there. I cannot talk about Alex Norn in any tournament. I think that that's been added for this event here. I, I didn't talk about Norn. He almost won the event. I'm going to take a similar approach here with Jaeger where I'm not going to talk about him. If he wins, I will be happy for him. It will hurt my soul ever so slightly that he got across the finish line without me. But I don't know. There were some issues inside of my model that didn't love him as much as it normally does. He's still a top 20 play for me in most ways that I ran my data. I think when you, maybe it's the putter that would be the biggest concern for me. I don't know how many events that we can get into. And and this is an event that I did increase the putting weights to I I think you have to make putts if you want to win this contest there's over a five percent increase from a lot of the uh long-term data of how it it delivers that you need to make putts from outside 10 feet you need to make putts when it matters down the stretch you need to make putts in these positions on some of these par four holes I like them I don't necessarily have any massive issues just I don't know if I believe for this field when it's gotten stronger that he's going to win the event now I think he has the upside to do it. Maybe he puts it together. I'm going to go 
against him this week from those names. He's probably my least favorite of the three that you mentioned. Uh, who were the other two? Justin, uh, Matt Kuchar? Yes. I, I think Sun Kuchar are probably both top 15 projected win equity candidates for me. I, I guess I'll go with Justin Sub, but it's very close between him and Kucher. A couple other guys in the 45 to 1 range as well. JJ Spawn, Taylor Pendrith, and Billy Horschel. Any strong feelings about any of those three? I like all three of those. That would probably be that next mix outside of the postings of the world that were as close as possible to making my card that didn't. The one thing I'll say about Pendrith, I, he's probably a little bit weaker in win equity than some of those other names. I like them in safety markets more so than the upside markets, but uh, maybe a similar answer to Horschel. But I, I very much considered Horschel and some of those other guys. How about Alex Smalley at 55 to one, Chris Kirk, 55 to one, Akshay Batia also at 55 to one this week. They're probably all passes for me. Uh, Smalley's been somebody that I've been very high on historically. I'm fine betting him in the bet 365 finishing position market. That number has been boosted too much. Kirk is, I mean, anytime you get one of these like courses, that's a little bit shorter. You get the upside metrics behind him, but uh, it didn't move the needle one way or another on any of those players. I have a ticket on Kirk and Batia is someone who I'm going to be looking at very closely this weekend if he puts a respectable number down on the right course and then gets the tougher course or the easier course the next day, he could go really low and perhaps it'll take a nibble on him. He's just got so much upside. I think he's been playing some really solid golf this fall. I'm very excited to bet him in some of the bigger field tournaments or some of the bigger tournaments next year with the more talented fields or we'll get a long number on him, but perhaps this is the week to capitalize on him. I'm very bullish on Batia. And then going into the 60 to one range, Luke list is there. Davis Thompson, also 60 to one Ben Griffin, who would have cashed an outright for you. Had that putt not lipped out over there in the chicken championship. Any thoughts on those three guys? I am out on Griffin and list. I, I, I don't know if this is exactly, I have the head to head play with list that I've talked about. I would consider if I could find the right opponent against Griffin, Thompson would probably be the one that's most intriguing to me inside of the top 25 of my model, uh, every single way that I ran it. He does have this surprisingly good total driving number when you gear it towards accuracy. I know we think of him as length um, at some of these club down venues. It's a, kind of a similar answer that we've always talked about with Pendrith and Cameron Davis and some of those guys. Davis Thompson has that same upside that pops to the forefront of the equation there. I couldn't figure out a way that I wanted to get exposure to him. It wouldn't necessarily be at that price that you mentioned. If you could put me more in the 80, 85, 90 to one zone, I would probably take a swing and, and, and hope for the best on it. But he's the only one of the three that I would want any exposure to. Just a couple more here, Spencer. We've got Adam Shank, who's 65 to one. I believe there was one tournament in the fall where he was sub 25, 30 yeah. to one. I think I liked him uh, that week also. Yeah. Um, so cr pretty crazy seeing him 65 to one here last week's winner. And one of the guys in contention the week before Camila Villegas, 65 to one as well. Thomas Dietrich also 75 to one 
this week, a guy who was very short just a couple weeks ago. Any thoughts on those three? I, I always like Dietrich. I don't think that that's uh, that's not something that we don't know on this show. It's the Norin Dietrich, Keith Mitchell every single week. Steven Yeager will add him, obviously, to the mix every single time they play. This feels like a nice bounce-back spot for Dietrich. Um, you could make the argument that the lack of win equity that he has shown throughout his entire career in each stage of everywhere that he's moved has been pronounced. And I, I, you know, at some point until you win a golf tournament, you are one of those players that is incapable in the eyes of many to win an event. And then when you win one, either the narrative changes about you or all of a sudden the winds start propelling on themselves and you get a couple more. And it's one of those trickle down effects there. I would be curious what would happen if Dietrich could finally pull off one of these events, because I think he's a supremely talented golfer. Uh, I like him this week. I, I think the number is intriguing for him. I just cannot get there on an outright bet as we currently stand. Well, you mentioned the players whom you love to bet on. We couldn't get out of this podcast <laughs> without bringing up the one and only Webb Simpson. He's a hundred to one. So is Matthew Neesmith. So is Dylan Wu. Cameron Champ. 110 to 1, and Carl Yuan is 110 to 1. If you had to pick one of those five gentlemen, who would you pick? I have, like, on the one shoulder, it's the good voice that's telling me pick Dylan Wu because Dylan Wu is probably the right pick. And then on the other shoulder, you have this Webb Simpson voice that is just screaming at the top of the lung that I finally get a chance to talk about Webb. Nick is not on the show to try to quiet me when the question is asked. I get free reigns here. 50 minutes into the show to spend the last 25 minutes talking about how great Webb is. I do think it's a nice course for Webb. Um, he would be my second pick of that group. I will go with Dylan Wu though, just to not be biased with an answer. Um, the putter has been extremely hot for Wu recently. If he can keep up that momentum, I don't think it's inconceivable that he couldn't work himself inside the top 10 leaderboard. Uh, 19th in my sheet for expected strokes gain total. I thought that was an encouraging return. Top 30 for me in that weighted par four scoring between 400 to 450 yards. And then the weighted scoring placed him 16th. Uh, this is probably the range. Like I'll say Dylan Wu, Sam Ryder, um, any of those other names that I mentioned at the beginning. This is outside of the Zach Blair answer that I gave. This would probably be where I would cut my ties with anybody else if we're talking about winning in this event. No, everybody's looking for that long shot win after we've had multiple occurrences of that over the last few weeks. I think this is a much better tournament than some of those events. The top of the board, to me at least, I do think you have strengths with the O'Bears, the Henleys, the Cameron Youngs, all of those players that I talked about. Um, Wu is probably that last give or take range of where I'm at least considering him if I have extra room on my card. Uh, for me, though, it's just that three-man card that I put together of Henley, Todd, and Zach Blair. I like it. I'm very excited to watch this tournament. Tons of great players in the field and lots of depth, which we haven't had in many of these fall swing events. So pretty excited to see some juicier numbers and especially in those placement markets as a result. Also, wanted to give everybody a heads up. This is the first day, this Tuesday, November 14th, that ESPN bet has launched. So Action Network has a bunch of sign-up promos and other offers for you to take advantage of. So be sure to do that when you check out your bets for this weekend, whether it's on golf, for football, for basketball, whatever it is, check it out. There's free money waiting for you in our Action Network promo code. So just go to the Action Network. You can see 
um, wherever your state is, what offers they have available. And they, if you have ESPN bet, it'll be right there. So be sure to check that out. Spencer, where can the people find you between now and Kapalua at the Century Tournament of Champions? Yeah, first of all, before I give that answer, I do want to thank everybody who has made us a part of your weekly research process. You tune into the show every single week to watch. We couldn't do this without you guys, so thank you for that. You can find me on Twitter at Sports. You can find my model over at Rotoballer if you want to hear any or see any of that data on a on a model to where you can make your own copy, create your own database there of the information. I have all the articles that I release over at Action Network from uh, the the in-tournament bets that I have. It's a really strong week last week for the in-tournament market for me. Uh, closed very strong with the last three bets that I put inside that sector winning. So hopefully we're catching a little bit of fire there for a market that's historically been in that 60% plus range over the last five years. Still think that that's kind of where the value is to be found on some of these boards right now. You can kind of get over corrections based off of one day of golf. And that's why I build my model in a certain fashion to not take too much of one day of information when we build all this data over the course of the week. And then all of a sudden a day plays and everybody forgets about their research. So uh, you can find those numbers at Rotoball or you can find how the picks end up turning out at Action Network. And once again, thank you so much to everybody out there. It, it truly means a lot. Yeah, I'll echo those sentiments. Thank you to everybody who's tuned in. Hopefully we've made it worth your while. And I think if you tuned in this week, hopefully these numbers aren't stale by the time you listen to them and we can take advantage of them together. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to our executive producer, Matt Mitchell, and our producer, Noah Niederhofer, who does all of our editing on a weekly basis for this tournament. So big thanks to you two. Also to David Payne, another producer on the Action Network who helps us out and had a little snafu with my computer dying at the end of last week recording we were able to resurrect the pod and no problems so thanks to david payne as well um want to give a big shout out to you spencer and to nick for letting me join y'all's crew i know you guys had had the podcast before and letting me incorporate into it has been an absolute blast learned a ton from both you and nick and want to give a shout out to nick he is coaching women's high school basketball season opener today so good luck to nick and to his team um, and then for me, you can find me on the Action Network. You can find me on Twitter at RobertoA213. Also be hopping in for a little bit more um, best bet coverage in college football, college basketball, and the NBA. Now that golf is dying down a little bit, we'll have a little bit more time, a little bit less on my plate. So excited to get in there and um, very excited for the upcoming PGA Tour season. You can also find me on PGA Tour Live. First tournament I'm doing next year is the American Express. So that'll be, I believe, the third weekend of January. So we'll be back in touch here on the pod before then to fill you in. But big thanks to everybody who makes this podcast possible. And thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in to our RSM Classic Preview. Here's to hoping we hit the green together at the end of the 2023 PGA Tour season, and we'll see you guys in Kapalua. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.